good to see your smiling faces on this Sunday morning in March. Uh, man, I, I don't know why you guys, I'm ready for spring. I'm at the point. I'm, you guys know I love winter, but March hits and I'm like, melt, melt. I am ready. Uh, we've done all this stuff. We're just waiting for spring. Um, hopefully you're going somewhere warm maybe for spring break. Maybe you're one of the blessed ones. Um, we tend to hit up Wisconsin Dells because you can just hide inside for a little bit during spring break. Whatever your thing is to get through to the end, the lights at the end of the tunnel. But we are in a season where we are building up towards Easter. We are in the Lent season right now, and our focus this year is on prayer. And we're going to be doing a series that will take us all the way up to Palm Sunday on prayer and really asking a question. And and if you missed week one, which was last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen. But I challenged all of us, no matter where we are at in our faith journey, if you haven't been in church in a long time and you came in today, maybe you've never been to church, maybe you've been serving Jesus for decades, or you've never Um, said yes to a life of faith in Jesus. Wherever you're at, what a great question to ask of how do I pray? See, prayer is interesting. Even those that don't serve Jesus or or faithfully go to church or attend, when tragedy strikes, what do we always say? Oh, praying for them, praying for that situation, praying for that city that experienced that um, hurricane or that earthquake. I'm praying for them. Even those that are outside of faith have this propensity for prayer, and yet we don't often take time and really try and understand it on a greater level, try to resource our prayer life to be more effective. And, and I've just found the longer I serve Jesus, I can either grow complacent in my prayer life, which usually when you've sort of plateaued or you've stopped growing in your faith, you're actually moving backwards is what I found. When we feel that plateau hit, we're really, our faith is being reduced. But when we continue to move forward, and we press into the mysteries of prayer, the, 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 the beauty of prayer, all the, the layers of what a prayer life can look like. We grow our faith. We grow our walk with Jesus. And so this question, I'm encouraging every single one of us, myself included, that we would ask, God, Jesus, how do I pray? Just like the disciples, they saw him in, in, uh, have an example of prayer and said, Jesus, teach us to pray like that. Would you teach us to pray like that? And so we're going by section by section through the Lord's Prayer, um, and we opened it up uh, last week. Um, out of, the Lord's Prayer is found out of Luke chapter 11, um, but I'm just going to read just the portion we're going to focus on today, and uh, you can go back and read the whole thing if you want to, again, if you missed last week, but what we're going to focus on today is the portion, it's the very beginning, actually. I intentionally started uh, with the second little portion. We started with supplication, prayers of supplication, when we make requests known to God. The reason I began with that is for many of us, that is, that is what we know of prayer. That is what we understand prayer to be. But now we're going to dig into deeper levels of what prayer is. It goes beyond supplication. And actually, the way that Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer is highly intentional. It's highly intentional. So he says this first. First, he begins by saying, our Father in heaven, and we understand just on a really practical level, who are you praying to? Say his name. (laughs) Say his name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. There's so much right here in these first few words. Our Father, first he's naming it, and then he says, hallowed be your name. And today our emphasis is on this portion of hallowed. Hallowed be your name. And this word, we only really know it in context of the Lord's Prayer. 
maybe even for some of you, like, hollow, that sounds like Halloween. Like, is this, like, in the Bible? Like, is this, is it all hollows Eve? Is it kind of like that? Or maybe you're somebody who said the phrase, like, sometimes with, like, Harvard or Oxford, they'd be like the hollowed halls of the college, right? Like, those are really, I was trying to think of all the ways that we might use this word. That's all I got. I had two examples. <laughs> it's the prayer. It's like about college hallways that we feel are like sacred, and, uh, and we hear it words similar during Halloween, but really, hollowed um, is a word that we need to understand, that we need to grasp today as we move into the type of prayer we're going to challenge ourselves on this week. And if you do a quick word study of both the Greek that it was written in in Luke, but also the Hebrew equivalent of this word, you're going to find a pretty easy to understand definition. This is not a scary word. It's not a massive word. It's not even a complicated word. Hollow just means to make something holy or sacred, to sanctify, which we've talked a lot about sanctifying means to set apart, to set it apart as separate, as different, as unique, and or consecrate, or even to venerate, which means to revere, to revere. So this, if we, hallowed be the name of God, hallowed be his name, essentially what we're declaring is, God, your name is higher than every other name. Your name is set apart from every other name. Um, we, we're not praying to any other gods but the one true God. We are praying to Yahweh. We are sanctifying. We are consecrating. We are revering it as separate and as powerful and as amazing in our life. You know, it's interesting. We all care about our names. Some, many of us actually care deeply, um, right? Some of you have a, like maybe a legacy or a history of your last name, and it carries a lot of meaning. And you're like, I don't want to, to put a, a mark on our last name. I want to honor our name. Or you're trying to build a name for yourself that has a good reputation. Many of us desire that, that if our name is known, it's just associated with like, oh, man, you know, maybe it's they're a really hard worker. They're a good person. Or they're just so loving. We want our name to to be set apart. We have this desire, and, and God is no different. There, he is asking, hey, my name needs to be set apart from every other name. My name needs to have a good reputation. My name needs to be revered. So when you pray, start with, hallowed be your name. Let it be set apart. Let it be different. And so Jesus starts this answer, his answer of the question, how do I pray, with this distinct opening line, he is honoring, he is setting apart, and he's revering the holiness of his Father. And he's saying, hallowed be your name. It's separate. It's above. It's not below. And, and I revere and I adore that name. And what this is, is this first section is a clear-cut example of a prayer of adoration. And if you're taking notes, which during this series, this is a bit of a teaching series, I would encourage you to take notes. Write these things down. Last week through supplication, we actually gave some filters that we can run our prayers of supplication. We can almost, it's like a test. We can test our prayers of supplication for alignment with God's word. And, and very similarly today, we're going to talk about what does it mean to pray a prayer of adoration? What are the ways that this looks like? And, and to begin even, I love that Jesus began his prayer with this adoration of God, this adoration of his name, this setting apart of his name. And when I just started to do a deep dive study on different examples of adoration, both in biblical stories of characters um, acting on adoration, those who prayed adoration, singing songs of adoration. One of the most common forms of prayers 
you will find of adoration are, are actually expressed through song. We just did that. I exalt thee. That's a prayer of adoration. We just sang it, and there's power in that. So worship, so much of why worship has power, worship has the most power, I believe, in our lives when we are actually singing songs and they are actual prayers of adoration. So one of the best places to study this type of prayer is Psalms. There are so many examples. I could have gone on and on and on and on and on and on and on about just examples just from Psalms of adoration for God, where it's not the focus, the emphasis is not on all the things that we want God to do for us, but the emphasis is just on who God is, who he is, the person, and how amazing he is. And one example that I love is actually ends the book, uh, it ends the entire book of Psalms, the final um, chapter is Psalms 150, 150 verses one through six. It's only a six verse Psalms. I'm just gonna read the whole thing and then we're gonna really dissect this today. We're gonna dive deep into Psalms 150. And King David is believed to be the author of this one and he said this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and with the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Praise him with strings and with flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. And then he ends it with a bang and he says it again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, just as I read that, did that feel quiet to you? <laughs> like, did that feel super passive and quiet and calm and I'm just in the corner and I'm meek? Or did it sound exciting? Did it kind of sound like a party? Did it kind of sound like praise and worship? And he is so good. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. And, uh, and I love that even he's showcasing all the different instruments. Hey, let's use the instruments as we praise and, uh, and sing songs of adoration to our God. And he is worthy to be praised. And anywhere in Psalms 150, at any point, did you see David ask him for anything? Anything. One request? No, it's just, God, you, I'm, I'm praising who you are. I'm praising who you are. And I love that he bookends this Psalms. 150, the last one, his opening and his closing are both praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, and really, what a theme. If you study Psalms all the way through, it's a lot. There's a lot of them. But if you start to study it, you're going to start to see a theme start to come out. And that theme is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God for who he is. Praise God. Um, and, and, and here it's bookended in such a beautiful way. And it's interesting that David was considered um, and was called a man after God's own heart. And this is one of those things that if you take time and study the person of David, it's almost interesting because you're like, man, he really messes up a lot. He makes a lot of mistakes. He makes a lot of mistakes. He's, he's constantly falling into sin. He's falling prey to How could he be a man after God's own heart? But when you read his Psalms, when you read that which he penned, and don't just read his story, you start to see adoration at the forefront of everything that he does. Like, like he leads out with adoration. He, he starts with adoration and he ends with adoration. Praise 
the Lord. And it's so clear that there is some connection between our prayers and worship of adoration and our heart and our connection to God. There's a link here. So if a man after God's own heart, that, that, that fact is shown through adoration, could it be that we might need to grow in our adoration of God? Could it be that this might be a target that we should aim at and we should move towards and we should discover new layers of and we should challenge ourselves today in this? Have I been actually putting adoration first? Am I beginning and ending with it? Is this the start and the finish? Is this the thing when I have no other words to say or nothing else to express? Is this something that I go back to? Do I continue to do this? And, and really, as we take this um, psalm of 150, we're going to begin to break down even these first phrases because I think there's some keys here that are going to help us understand adoration. And one of the things that I really see happen in my own life when I'm praying or singing songs of adoration to God is that adoration reminds me or us of his location. It reminds me of where he is. And let me break this down. What does David start with? He says, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven. I think it's important that sometimes we, we, we can get so caught up in what's happening on earth. We can get so caught up in what's happening where we are located that we almost worship a God who's like connected to our circumstances. But we don't. We serve a God who's above our circumstances. We serve a God who's on the throne all throughout the canon of Scripture. From, from Genesis to Revelation, there are depictions of God on a throne. He is on a throne. He is king. He is Lord of lords. He, he is above. He is not below. The Bible actually says that, that he's sitting on his throne and the earth is his footstool. <laughs> like, like, like his foot, like he's resting his feet on the earth. And we're like, no, 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 no. The earth is way more special than that. Are you kidding me? His dirty shoes on the earth? We're really special, Pastor Sam. Like, I don't know if you know this, but like we are blessed, highly favored by the Lord. And he would never do that. Like, no, no. It's a picture of how great, how massive, how big our God is and, and how small we are. And just to be honest with you, I love feeling small in the presence of God because it takes the pressure off. <laughs> I'm like, sweet. The pressure's off a little bit. He is so great. He is on his throne. He is the ruler. He, he is the God that we serve. Psalms chapter 9, verse 6 through 8 says that the enemy is finished. Can I get an amen? We talked a lot last week about the war that we're praying into. Can we just remind ourselves the enemy's finished? God is on the throne. We have the power. We have the authority. We have the victory. Side note. Do not miss this. We just dropped on YouTube our guided prayer for prayers of supplication, and it's eight and a half minutes, and we had this whole conversation even though, like, man, should we shorten that? Should we bring that shorter? I'm like, look, if we can't pray for eight minutes, we've got a bigger problem, okay? So this is an eight-minute guided prayer that's going to help walk you through prayers of supplication. It's going to go through my message and help you break it down. I would encourage you to go and do that because we remind ourselves in that prayer of supplication that the enemy's finished, that we have the victory. We're praying according to that. In endless ruins, the cities you uprooted are now forgotten, but the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from his throne. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. 
See, I love that he's on the throne. I love that he's the judge. I love that he's the king. Because all of a sudden, when the world, the leaders of this world let me down, I remember that I was never serving them in the first place. That I first, I serve God who's on the throne. That it's the kingdom of heaven. That, that is the, 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 the world that I want to occupy and live in. And you know, it's sometimes interesting as Christians, we can get really caught up with the visual of Jesus on a cross. We get really, really like consumed with picturing even sometimes in worship or whatever else, we're singing songs like Jesus on a cross. Because it moves us, right? It moves us to realize that Jesus would pay that price, that he would make that sacrifice. But a deeper study of the word, it would be an odd thing to, to sort of glorify the cross when, when God is on the throne and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Like it's almost an odd thing to glorify um, the, the, the wooden man-made Roman cross when he's on a throne. <laughs> like he's not still in the tomb. He's not still on the cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so when we worship, are we worshiping like we're entering a throne room? Do we come into the sanctuary, right? Can this be, this is a sanctuary moment. Do we come in, do we worship? Like we're at, entering the throne room of the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But adoration for Americans is tricky because we hold very little in reverence, honor, or even high regard. We are a highly skeptical people now. Uh, I was talking with somebody this week and we were discussing how the moment somebody says, fact, I'm like, I don't trust it. Like, we don't even trust facts anymore. We're like, I don't trust your facts. Where'd you get your data from? Like, you know, we hear facts all the time that are proven wrong or disproven. There's so much mistrust. There's so little reverence. There's so little awe. And I'm not even saying we should have that for our nation, but in a world like this, for, for so many generations and thousands of years, people on earth understood what it meant to have reverence and awe for a king because they had an earthly king. We don't have one. Good thing we're like super obsessed with the British monarchy because it'll help my illustration a little bit. You're like, no, 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 I know, I know about Harry and Meghan Markle. Like, totally, I understand. Like, I got, I watched the document, I read the book, I just read it, you know? Like, we, we are obsessed with the British monarchy. So we understand, we've watched, maybe you've watched Downton Abbey for the third time, amen? And, uh, and you've seen what that kind of that reverence and that awe can be for certain spaces. But in America, we don't have a lot of examples. We don't have a lot of earthly examples for how we should act when we come into the presence of God and worship him in adoration. We don't have a lot, but there should be this reverence and this awe, this, this, this bowing down, this understanding, I am I, I'm unworthy, and yet you invited me in? You invited me into the throne room? I'm just a peasant. I am nobody. And, and you, wait, you invited me into the throne room, and wait, there's a, you prepared a table for me? You prepared a place for me? Like, I'm welcome here? I, I don't want my, my, my proximity to God to ever diminish the awe, the reverence, the wonder, and the sanctity of who he is. And I think there's something so powerful when we get back to that place of awe, back to that place of wonder, back to that place of adoration. We need to bring a greater sense of adoration. We need to bring in, right, and even there's, there is something to be said about, even on a Sunday, we, we've talked about how this room, we've set this room apart. It's, this room has been sanctified. We've set it apart to encounter God, 
So can we walk in here like we're walking into the sanctuary? We're walking into the Holy of Holies. We're walking into the throne room of God. And what we, we, we know biblically, we get to do that anytime we pray and worship. But sometimes we just need that physical reminder. Can I just challenge us, church, that as we walk through those doors, can we just think adoration? Do I have a heart of adoration? Am I ready? Did I prepare my heart and my mind to worship him and bring glory to him? Then another thing in this text that helps remind us of, or the, the thing that adoration helps remind us of is his blessings. Adoration does remind us of his blessings. And David says, praise him for his mighty works. Praise him for his mighty works. See, the problem is many of us are so focused on the next blessing we want to receive that we haven't even thanked him for the blessing he already brought. And so we're so consumed, we come into worship and we're thinking about the next blessing the next thing we want to see accomplished, but a prayer of adoration should be going through, God, I thank you for the air in my lungs. God, I thank you for the friend that I have. God, I thank you for, for, for the, the, the resources you have given me. I thank you for the works that you've already done in my life. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. Even in a season of difficulty, in a season of tragedy, in a season of pain, where in a season where we lack health, we still want to go, God, I, I'm, I adore you, and, and I love you, and I just want to have this reminder that you've done mighty works, and I'm going to think through it. And the reality is that there's something that happens when we go beyond just our words, our words of thanking, right, our words of his blessings, and we actually move towards action with it. And when I, again, when I studied adoration, and you look at this, praise him for his mighty works, one of the things that God so often does is he he, he's not just looking for lip service. He's actually looking for us to back it up. That, that, that faith without works is actually dead. A part of showing our adoration for him, a part of showing our love for him is bringing in a sacrifice. Sometimes in our life, all we've got is a sacrifice of praise. We've got nothing to give. We've got absolutely nothing to give. But that's why I love stories like the, the widow's might, where Jesus is watching people give, bring their offerings into the, the church, and, 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 and you see all these people that they had this huge um, uh, canister that they'd throw their offerings into, and, and the rich men were coming and pounding in these coins and making a large sound, making a large scene about their generosity and their giving. But he saw a little widow who all she had was a single mite, and she came forward and out of her adoration for who God is, gave everything that she had. Everything that she had. And Jesus said there's more value on that because it was a gift of adoration. It was a gift of absolute sacrifice. You see, when we praise him for our mighty works, when we praise him for our blessings, and we'll get even more into the layers of that through prayers of thanksgiving later on, but when we do this, when we are adoring him and, and he reminds us of his goodness and we think about the way he's blessed us, what a great reaction to then step out and let adoration move us to action. It should move us to action. It should shift something in our spirit. I, I want to do something. I want to do my part. Essentially, adoration should connect a sacrifice of praise with a sacrifice of our possessions. I, I, don't, I don't ever want to become a fair-weather fair worshiper of God. I, right? And we, we joke all the time. 
You know, in sports worlds of people who are fair weather fans, the people who are only showing up, who are only giving lip service and, and shouting and watching and posting and being excited when the team is good, but then when the team is terrible, it's like, where are they to be found? And see, the beautiful thing about adoration is we're saying, God, it's in the seasons of blessing, in the seasons of lack, I'm still bringing my best. I'm giving you a sacrifice of praise. I'm giving you a sacrifice of my possessions. It goes beyond just the works. It goes beyond just these things. I never want to be a fair weather fan of the gospel message of Jesus. I want to have adoration at all times. And since God is after our heart, church, he asks for our treasure as part of our worship. He asks, right, we, we say this all the time when we give, bring an offering and we give to the church. This is an act of worship. It's actually an act of adoration. It's saying, God, because of how good you are, I want to sew back in just even this little amount, this little part of what I have. Because he makes it so clear where our treasure is, our heart will follow. And so it's a connection. If we, He's yearning for our heart. He's yearning for our love. He wants to connect with us. So let's allow that sacrifice of praise to move us into a sacrifice of our possessions. It's a clear act of submission to his throne. Again, if you study the monarchy, you never came and visited the king without bringing a gift. You don't go to a king empty-handed. You bring something that says, hey, I understand your authority. I understand your position. I understand your power. And so I've brought this offering to you. I've brought something forward for you. And yet so often we come in even to a Sunday morning service and we're distracted and we're not in the right headspace. We're not even giving a good sacrifice of praise, let alone bringing a good sacrifice to the feet of our king, saying, God, I love you. This sacrifice is about who you are and I see who you are and I wanna bring my best. I wanna bring my best. When you see that all throughout scripture, God receives our best and he rejects the worst because it's not just about bringing something. He's looking for your heart. And do you really adore me? Do you really love me? Are you bringing him? Are you giving him your best? Or is he getting the scraps? Adoration reminds us of his blessings and the reality that we are to also offer our life as a blessing to God. Another thing adoration reminds us of, right here in Scripture, adoration reminds us of his power, church. It says, praise his unequaled greatness. I just, I love this. Praise his unequaled greatness, his power, his strength, his might. If we don't have a fear, a reverence, and an awe of the power of God and what he can bring and what he's capable of and what he can do, then we need to read some more scripture. We need to get our hearts right. And there's something about like a submission to the power. And, and as I was prepping, I, my, I was brought back to a moment Renee and I had um, a few months ago, we were blessed um, with a gift card to go to the iFly skydiving, indoor skydiving chamber. So you guys know what I'm talking about? It's literally this giant, massive tube that they create such an extreme wind tunnel that it literally simulates skydiving, right? Like it's this extreme, powerful wind hitting you. And so you go there and you, that you have to kind of like walk through this video and they're teaching you the way to do it and how to go about it. And I'm just going to let you guys know, I'm the kind of guy, we're in a whole group of people and I'm like, I'm going to be the best one. I'm going to do this the best. And they're like, the better you are, the more freedom we're going to give you. We're going to kind of like let you go. And because they start out holding you, they're like, if you get it, 
and you listen well and you submit to what we're saying, we'll kind of let you go and you can sort of fly around in this tank. I'm gonna be like, they're gonna let me go in five seconds. They're gonna be so impressed with me. It's gonna be so quick and I'm gonna get to fly around and Renee's with me and she's, she's nervous. She's nervous. I'm not even nervous. I'm not even scared, but she's nervous and she's going, ah, like, I don't know. It looks pretty intense, whatever. And, um, and Renee uh, goes before me and she jumps in the tank and, and they're holding her and, and she just immediately... It's like her, her, all those years of dancing, she just has perfect posture. She popped into the perfect posture. She listened intently at everything they said. And within a few seconds, she just had it down. She had this full understanding of what to do. I was like, oh my gosh, she did really, really good. Like, this is crazy. And she just looked elegant doing it. And she was so poised. And she was so perfect. And, and then it's my turn. And I get in there. And, and, and I'm thinking I'm going to be great at this and I am stiff, and I am rigid, and I'm like, my arms, I can't even move them. They're trying to give me instructions. I'm yelling at them because I can't understand their little hand signal. I'm like, what do you want from me? The dude is so not trusting what I'm doing. He actually reaches around and grabs my waist and is like holding me down. I'm like, let go of me, and I'm in this tank. And all of a sudden, I realized how much pressure is coming at me, how intense this thing is, and I was the worst at this fly tank. And, and I come in, and I, I'm like, what happened? And I watch myself, and I'm just so intense, and I'm so stiff. And, and we go in the tank again, and Renee just embraces the wind. She just embraces what's happening, and she just looks graceful and beautiful, and I never got it. We went in three times this tank. Every time I got more angry at the wind, and I'm like, I hate this. I hate looking dumb, and I, I, I was so stiff, and I couldn't figure it out because I, wouldn't, I, I just would not relax and just submit to the power that was hitting us. I, I wouldn't submit to the wind. I wouldn't submit to what was supposed to happen. I kept trying to do it my way and try to figure it out, and Renee just had this submission. She had this understanding that I did not have. I think so often when we approach God, we have to see it as like this power that you just submit to. And so many of us, we're like sitting in this tank just struggling, trying to figure it out when we should relax and just remind ourselves he's, his, of his greatness. We should remind ourselves he's above, he's not below. He's on the throne. I, I, all my job is just to have adoration for him. My job is just to have awe of him. My job is to understand that that, that I am nothing at the hands of his power and I just need to submit and I need to relax. Church, my life or your life should showcase his greatness, not your giftedness. It should showcase what he's capable of. When Renee just allowed that insane wind to come, she showcased what that power could do. But when I was trying to show off and I was trying to be really, really good at it and I was fighting against it, I was working against it, it was trying to show off my giftedness, and I looked awkward. And so many of us, church, we're, we're trying to show God how great we are. We are actively pursuing showing off to God. Did you see what I did? Was that good enough? Did I impress you? Was that awesome? He's like, man, I really, I just wish you would just submit. Would you just relax? I, I, would you just realize it's my greatness, not your giftedness? That, that, that's where impact's going to happen. And adoration reminds us, oh, I don't have to be that great. I just have to be submitted. I just need to submit to his greatness, to his, I don't have to be that powerful. I just need to submit to his power. I just need to rest. The band can come on up. I just need to submit. But church, remember, submission to God's greatness, it actually requires us to hand over credit, though. Doesn't it? 
because he's going to get more of the credit. How many of you know Renee cannot fly on her own? She just submitted to the wind, and it allowed her to fly. I tried to make it about me. I couldn't fly. And in so many ways, church, when we submit, we have to hand over the credit, though. And a lot of us were like, yeah, like, I want, yeah, God's greatness. Like, that's great. That's awesome. But, like, will he give me some credit? On judgment day, when I stand before his throne, is he going to talk about all the good stuff I did? Because I'd love everyone else to see all the amazing things that I've done and my strength. And, and I've done some pretty good stuff. I want some credit for this. To hand over credit. Adoration reminds us, God, the only reason I'm able to do anything is because you empowered me for it. You designed me for it. You gave me my brain. You gave me my heart. You gave me my soul. You gave me my mind. You gave me this body. So anything I'm capable of doing with it, you get the credit anyways. See, to submit to your greatness. I need to praise his unequaled greatness. See, church, when we, when we pray a prayer of adoration to God, we, we align ourselves under him. It reminds us of his location. Where is he? He's on the throne. And I'm just entering the throne room. And I'm, I'm in submission to him. I, I, I'm laying down at his feet. I'm under him. It helps me to adjust my actions to glorify him. When I, when I adore him and I worship him and I remind myself of his blessings, it helps me to realign those actions. And the adoration reminds me to actively submit to his plans, his greatness, his power. And so churches, we're studying these different ways of prayer. What better way to begin any prayer than with a moment of adoration? Before you go into something else, why not start with God? I'm reminding myself of where I'm at locationally. I'm reminding myself of the things you've done in my life. So I'm coming to you grateful. Sanctifying, I'm setting you apart. And I'm reminding myself of your power, your strength, your greatness that I get to submit to. What a great place to start. What a, what a great alignment of your heart and your mind with God. And I really believe this, that for many of us, a breakthrough in our life is going to come from an active lifestyle of adoring God, setting his name apart, this sanctifying, this setting, hallowed be your name. So I want us, with the last few minutes that we have, I, I just want us to do this. I want us to practice this immediately. We're not waiting for Wednesday night to come into a prayer room. We're not waiting for our next time of devotion with the Lord. Right now, through a song, to pray a prayer of adoration. We're going to sing, I exalt thee. I put you above. I set you, hallowed be your name. And watch as your life comes into perspective. Watch as all the priorities start to shift in your heart and your mind. Because in light of the throne room, in light of God, our problems are so small, so easy to be handled. So would you stand all across this place, church? I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you to worship him. Really worship him. Lift his name on high. Put him first. Take time and clear away all the thoughts, all of the struggles, all of the pain. 
So God, right now, we just, we do, we enter your throne room with a sacrifice of praise. We want to exalt you over everything else in our life. You are worthy of our praise. God, any sort of idol that may have been built up in our life, God, would you help us to tear it down right now? Would you help us to put you first? Would you remind us of our posture and our position as we come to you? Would you rekindle the awe and the wonder, the mystery of who you are? God, you are so good. And we love you deeply. We exalt you in this place. We worship you right now. In Jesus' name.